You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am Matt Baker. I perform a comedy and stunt show. And I'm Louis Fox. I do uh, magic tricks, comedy, and hand shadow puppets. <laughs> and we both have performed at the Moisture Festival for a number of years. So welcome to the podcast where we give you a peek behind the curtains of the performers and the people that make the Moisture Festival happen. You get a little, little bit of a look at their journey to getting on stage and a little bit about what they do in their time off stage. So welcome and be sure to check out all the episodes of the Moisture Festival podcast because there's a lot. There is a lot. And if you aren't familiar with the Moisture Festival, it's a four-week festival celebrating variety arts. So that's hula hoopers, magicians, people who bounce on their hands, acrobats, pretty much anything you can think of. It is the largest festival of its kind in the entire world, folks. In the entire world, it's the largest festival, and it features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, but they have a burlesque venue that runs for one week only, and get your tickets for that early because that always sells out actually 95 percent we've crunched the data louie yes. 95 percent of the shows sell out so if you're listening to this in the months of march and april be sure to go to moisturefestival.org and get your tickets today yes especially if your bucket list item is to see the opening show Get them now. Absolutely. On today's episode, we are in the basement of a very famous clown in Portland, Oregon, and we are joined by the hilarious and talented Curtis Carlisle. That's right. Kurt talks to us about his adventures as a juggler, riding tall bikes, learning to ride the unicycle, as well as traveling the world with Clowns Without Borders. Yeah, it's a great conversation with lots of insight into the creative mind and how to create a show. Let's get to the interview with Curtis Carlisle. We are on location in the clown basement here in Portland. <laughs> And we are joined by a legend in the Portland circus art scene. He's a comedian, a juggler. He has performed all over the country, including the Kennedy Center and on Broadway. He has broken a Guinness World Record, was awarded a bronze medal for stagecraft from the International Juggling Association, and has even shared the stage with the Beastie Boys. We are honored to have the man with the best mustache in the business, Curtis Carlisle. Paper and advertisement. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us, man. man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for making the trip over on your moped. Yes. Uh, I think this is the first person to arrive by moped. We've had bicycle. Yeah. We've had uh, trying to keep subway. It diverse. Yeah. <laughs> trying to keep it energy efficient. So uh, when you juggled on Broadway, was that did you was that legitimate? Like you yeah, had a yeah, run yeah. on we, Broadway? I, mean, I guess it's technically considered off Broadway. The New Victory Theater. Oh yeah, it's like 45th and Broadway. Yeah. They have 499 right. seats, right? So they don't pay like 
the union rate for Broadway, but it's there on Broadway. I mean, I'm there for a month and a half. They, they obviously planned that out, right? I'm like, they, yeah. they planned it out for sure. I mean, it's like a block from Times Square, right? It's yeah, like a, it's where the uh, Flying Karamazov brothers yeah. went off in like the It's 80s. a cool theater. I like it. Yeah. Uh, it's where they saw Taxi Driver, I believe. So even like Robert De Niro is part of the board of directors for the building. Oh, and nice. The wow. And Did he come like, to your show? Uh, yeah, supposedly. <laughs> No, I didn't. I, I never got to see that. They, some uh, people said that Jodie Foster came because uh, she's cool. a member of the board of directors. Some people would drop a bunch of other names, Alec Baldwin or whatever. But I mean, it's just like a kids' theater show. Yeah, and it was a very, very beautifully lit and performed show with original music. That's so awesome, great. man. Nice. Now you you are honestly you're one of my favorite people in the world. You're one of my favorite performers Aww. to watch. Yeah. You're creative. You you really like. In the juggling world, there's not... Hang on, let's start at the beginning. Okay. <laughs> so, were you literally born in a lighthouse? Yeah, I was born in Westerly, Rhode Island. My father was a lighthouse attendant. My mother was a rodeo queen. She came from Redmond and Bend, Oregon. Okay. She trained horses, uh, rode horses. She's like the rodeo champion of Newport. Back in the eighties, I remember watching her do bail racing and win all the Newport, Rhode Island, or Newport, Newport Oregon. Oregon. Gotcha. So yeah, my father was in the Coast Guard. So I was born in Westerly, Rhode Island. I moved to South. No, Carolina. so so you were literally. Born... I was born in a hospital. Okay, but it's like I there lived... was a lighthouse on top of well, the hospital. His, his bio on his website says he was nope. born in a lighthouse. But I did live in a lighthouse. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, as soon as I like was born, they like took you to the lighthouse and like this is where you live, buddy. And then uh, no, I was told stories by my family that tourists would show up. Up and just like let themselves in because they thought it was like a, a tourist location or oh, some wow. kind of historical location. And my mom's like, "Hey, how's it going? We live here." <laughs> Wait, so your dad was in the you're coast? Eat, you're eating my cereal. <laughs> yeah, no. Did do you, when you're in the Coast Guard? Is that just something that you are sort of you learn to do, or it's do an you... option, right? Like, so my dad is the one of the most well read and well-learned people I ever met he just took every opportunity when he would in high school he did ROTC and then he did some Coast Guard like training in high school and then he would take all the classes on mechanical stuff and like heating air conditioning as much as he could and then when he was in the Coast Guard the same thing you're offered all these classes and sometimes you might have to pay a premium to go to an extra cool class or something but you're always getting certificates when my dad came out of the Coast Guard he like could work on diesel engines wow. he could like navigate boats he could do heating and air conditioning. He took that parenting class. Yeah, he did so much crazy stuff. <laughs> he skipped know? over the parenting class. <laughs> nah, dude. I mean, he was a he was a fantastic father, great uh, role model, always learning. Did he pa- did he pass that along to you? The coast, the lighthouse, refracted light. No, I never had to dip my hands in mercury. That's the that's the urban legend. Is that yeah. they're floating on mercury, and my dad would filter the mercury through cheesecloth back like in the eighties. Whenever Wait, they so asked him to. Is it urban myth or real? I mean, my dad did it. But that's what they always talk about. That's like the the story they talk ah. about around the, you know, it's like, oh, that they all they get the Mad Hatter well. disease or whatever they, you know, <laughs> you know that might explain a lot. Of the 80s. <laughs> so <laughs> your mom, your mom was a rodeo queen, and then is that why you moved back? Is because she was from here? Or I mean, you... she was from here, but my father would always. I mean, you get like three options every three years, and you have to look at your options. You're like, well, do I want to go here, there, or there? And you weigh them with your partner and your family and whatever. And I mean, my brother and I were the only two kids. We had horses, so that's like taken into consideration. So we moved to Missouri one time. So we're like, my dad's Lots on the of lighthouses Miss- in Missouri. My dad's yeah. on the Mississippi River. <laughs> oh, 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 you know, I'm in there integrating with like inner city like kids hanging out in Missouri. 
Like then I live out in the sticks with a bunch of hillbillies. I mean, I had a pretty crazy life spending like most of my youth riding horses. How cool is that? Yeah. Well, it was funny because you came because, you know, I just moved to Oregon and we got horses. And yeah. You came down and you were like, you told me like, oh, yeah, I grew up on horses. I'm like, what? I'm, normal, like, right? I'm afraid to jump up on these things. You're like, I grew up with horses. That one has me. Yes. <laughs> you should put that one down. No, 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 no. <laughs> All the glue factory. So uh, you, so you essentially, where would you call your home? I think the Pacific Northwest. Like I'm a fifth generation Oregonian, born in Rhode Island. Okay. So like it, sa- right. it says on my birth certificate, I'm born in Rhode Island, but my parents had residency in Oregon because of their military status. Yeah, and so like you know that's how I hold part it down. of your family lineage is to cross the country to find of... your way to Oregon. There you go. I mean, I have family cabins in Oregon. My family started a small community in Oregon back in the day when they put a gas station down near yeah. Prineville, Oregon, and oh, that nice. started a community. So. Restarted so the these Google are your, server farm. There you go. They did it. They did it all. These are your people. These are my homies. Yeah, Italian people. My one of my great uncles was like Mr. Oregon, like back in the wow. steroids day, like in yeah. like '86. It's like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> so, how did you find juggling? Um, well, I lived in Vancouver, Washington, right across the way, and I'd always come to Portland. It's much more interesting. More things to do. Uh, more music. More culture. More people being excited and just like hanging out late, and. uh we just go back to Vancouver and we're like, man, there's nothing to do in Vancouver. <laughs> and so we started doing triathlons and just like trying to stay healthy and exercise. My friend Mike and I would bike a thousand miles a month and we went to a bike shop and one day they had a unicycle there. Now this dude, Mike and I, we've been doing triathlons. We're competing in everything. We're competing in the swimming. We're running against each other trying to be better. And I'm like, hey, Mike, I'm going to learn to ride this unicycle. And he's like, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard you say. And I was like, all right, finally, I'm going to do something this guy can't do or I'm going to like be impressive. Mm-hmm. So I went to go like, ride the unicycle and nothing. I mean, I was like months of trying to ride this thing and I had nowhere. So I finally had, I was like, asked my dad, I'm like, what is, what should I do? I can't ride this unicycle. He's like, uh, go to the library. <laughs> go to the lighthouse. <laughs> just go to, the, go to the library. And so I legitimately went to the library and I like just checked out all the books on unicycling. I read them. I'm like, okay, this makes sense. I Googled it at the library and it talked about Tyler Bechtel. Uh, this Tater A. Peel clown. In the, in, in the book it said that? No, no, no. In, oh. the, in, the, in the internet. Oh, okay. At the, at the library. It said that he had oh. like ridden a unicycle from like Longview, Washington all the way to like the tip of Florida yeah. for Dornbeckers. Yeah. And that he was at a bicycle swap meet. And so I went and I met this salty old clown. Wait, was he dressed as a clown? No, he was dressed like Tyler Bechtel, but he was a salty old clown who was like only 27 at the time probably. And I saw they had a bunch of books and a bunch of things. And I was like, hey, where'd you get these books? Sent me to Serious Juggling. Serious Juggling took me to like the Portland Juggling Club. Portland Juggling Club has the most amount of living vaudeville vaudevillians yeah. like on a weekly basis. I mean, I walked in there. Patrick McGuire was practicing. I uh, walked in. Reese Thomas is practicing. David Lichtenstein's doing ropes. There's people on like eight foot unicycles. And as soon as I walked in there, I was like, "All right, I'm gonna figure out how to belong here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what can I do to belong here? I'm just gonna keep practicing and yeah, yeah." That's a bit it. And That's then did you learn to ride the unicycle eventually? Or? Yeah. Okay. Alert, I mean, yeah. I got over the unicycle quite quickly. It's like a bad form of like transportation. <laughs> yeah, it seems pretty inefficient. Yeah, it, it doesn't have a freewheel. Especially when you have a bicycle. If, I mean, a yeah, bicycle trumps it. Although I have seen you ride around that, that super tall bicycle, which I think yeah. is also seems like it might be very inefficient. No, it's very practical, actually. You get like, a great view of stuff. You, you can look can down on people. Off a tree. You tear your ACL every time you jump down. No doubt, no. no I love those tall bikes. It's a great I actually, workout for my health insurance. I worked really hard to make them easy to ride. 
So after making a bunch of different uh, tall bikes, having people engineer them for me, uh, they have like skid plates and the ability to walk up and down on them. Oh, Hopefully that's nice. Any person can ride them and they're not actually janky. Yeah. They look janky for like the art deco appeal or whatever. So how did you become a performer? I know you, you like myself, you started in a duo yeah. called Vanilla Town Vaudeville with your friend Mike. Mm-hmm. The same, and- yeah, the same guy who uh, challenged me to ride a unicycle. He bought a unicycle. And then as soon as I started doing like a Chinese yo-yo or Diabolo, he like got one. And so I had this kid chasing me. He was very athletic very very talented and like had so much ambition so i just started getting this ambition too and we would practice different things the portland juggling club every week we'd try to like show up with something new like uh, buy a new book and learn all the tricks in it and then show it to somebody or like ask a question or uh reese thomas would show us one trick and then the whole week we would like try yeah to, try to like nail that trick and come back nice um we would take props from the portland juggling club and they didn't notice and we'd like take it home and like be practicing with like clubs all week long and then bring them back and put them away and clean them and stuff did the portland juggling club so they had like loner or not no. just like loner, no, no, no. but they they're had just, like they're just stealing stuff they were just we were just borrowing it without without provocation <laughs> but, but did, the, did the club own them or was it like some some dudes no the club owned them or it was lost and found you know actually like, i am missing some props that i took to the juggling <laughs> no late, like, later come to find out it's also lost and found and whatever yeah but just when you're young and you look at the idea of like buying three clubs for 35 dollars each and you're like, am I really going to like it that much to yeah. like spend this money? And I'm an honest enough person to bring it back. So I <laughs> and just stealing the person. And, and, you know, this, you know, you know, it's, it's stealing with the intent of returning. I, I you think, know, I think giving it a good home for the week yeah. instead of locking in a dusty locker. <laughs> <laughs> so when when did you sort of shift from just practicing, going weekly with your your with Mike to actually performing for people? Uh, the first time I ever performed was at a juggling renegade show. Down in Humboldt, California. So real quick, what is a renegade show? A renegade show is a tradition at juggling festivals where uh, anyone can get up on stage and show something off, no matter how polished or how how uncreative or how bad it may be. They're allowed to go up on stage and show their friends. Um, I think it comes from the renegade juggling. Uh, yeah. The Renegade Juggling Store. I yeah, guess so if them. you listen to our Moisture Fest interview with Iman, Rizal Razu, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she uh, talks about that, so you can get some more information on the history of that. Usually, in the Renegade show, it's affiliated with, like, it's a late night show at a juggling festival. Yeah, And there's alcohol loose. involved. It's yeah. sort of like an after-hour show, you know. Yeah. It's a, it can be raunchy and not, you know, you, it's free to anybody. There's no sort of judgment. And so, well, there's lots of judgment, but... Yeah, and so my friend Mike and I, we knew about Renegade shows, but we knew the Portland Juggling Renegade show was, like, really, like, high class. Like, the acts in the Portland Juggling Renegade show were crazy. Like, you just go out there and see a guy doing two lassos and then whip, like, crack with his teeth and, like just so much beautiful stuff and we're like oh man we're never gonna make it on this stage so we looked up this juggling festival far away in boondocks and we're like we're gonna prepare an act for like two months for this renegade show <laughs> and, and, then, and then we're gonna go do it in this middle of nowhere for these, these where kids. was it a humbled at oh, the humble yeah, juggling yeah. festival oh, yeah. we showed up and we had like in our pockets we're like yeah we're gonna do this act and whatever and it's a renegade act so we were both like swimmers and triathlons so we just came out in like warm-ups did our thing and then we tear down in speedos and then finish the act in speedos <laughs> like no one can complain if you suck if you yeah. get in speedos that's yeah. was our whole thing and they're like that was actually really good you didn't have to take your clothes off would you like to perform in like the live stage like public show tomorrow just keep your sweatsuits on and we were like 
never expected like you're like we have to keep our clothes on <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no no there goes my artistic <laughs> <Yeah>. integrity <laughs> but the uh, man's trying to take it from us no i think it was even like someone like kevin axtell or some uh, you know person who's very like affluent in the community now but was like that was very good very encouraging we went and did that the same act we took that and we did uh clowns without borders benefit show in portland that happens every year then we got invited to perform with do jump and that ended up being like you know thirty percent of our entire career of Vanilla Town is that just doing that one Diablo piece that we created to live music started off as a renegade act. We ended up well because your skill level was very high. I remember we were just talking off mic about when we had met, and I remember you got meeting you in the early two thousand, and you having a really high skill level at the yeah. Chinese yo yo. Oh yeah, thank you so much. I mean, I always just credit that to actually enjoying the thing I'm doing. Yeah. I'm not just going on stage to show you like, here's an extra 10 minutes in my show. I had to learn how to do nutcrackers or here's an extra 10 minutes in my show. I had to learn to do like, like a, a handcuff escape or whatever. Something what, that you're not actually, <laughs> exactly. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's all this different stuff that people, something you learn to add time to your show. <laughs> it's, it's 10 minutes, man. It's ten you're gonna, <laughs> it costs a lot more than you can ask. <laughs> Clearly it's filler. <laughs> But no, I really, I mean, a lot of people would do Diabolo Chinese yo-yo as a filler. And I'm like, no, man, this is like a great, fantastic yeah. thing. It's a prop you can you can just let loose, dance with, hang out with. Uh, it's got tons of energy in it because you're putting lots of like. And it's interesting to, to yeah, watch. A lot, a lot of people, people don't see, you know, you probably see juggling more than you would see the Chinese yo-yo. For sure. And it's definitely a hook. I mean, just this December, 10 days in a row, live music at the Alberta Rose Theater, I did like Chinese yo-yo to music, you know, and people were like, that was one of the greatest yeah. things I've ever seen. I really enjoyed your piece. It was so fantastic that, you know, because instead of just going out there and being like, oh, Diablo again, you know, I guess I'll do the same tricks as always. Like the last 18 months, I've been learning new things, thinking about art and creation and movement in different ways. And then when given the opportunity, like all of this thought and all of this like homework that you've done and the wood chopping, you're like, oh, this better mean something because I'm going to add it all into this show here. Yeah. Well, and that's what I love about you as a performer is like you do put a lot of thought into what you're doing. Even if it is a three minute piece in a larger variety show, you really like sort of hone in on how can I sort of maximize my time and make this a unique experience for the people who are watching. And you were just out of all the professional jugglers and performers I know, like you put so much thought and uh, preparation into what you do. I mean, it's, it's admirable. Thank you, thank you. I mean, I learned it from Reese Thomas. That's uh, my mentor. He he puts in more than I do. I see how much like time he puts into scripts and to writing and to trashing jokes he doesn't like anymore and to like always working on a new prop, always working on a new thing. He's working on a full magic show now. You know, it's like these creative people are very inspiring to me. And when I say like, well, I want to get on stage with this guy, am I at the same level as him? So I have to like. Make sure you have to make well, sure yeah. that Keep you're at that level. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a friend that always said, surround yourself with people who are better than you and you will bring yourself up to their level. Yeah, but if you were the king of people who are not that great, you're just going to, yeah, you're the, you know, you're a big fish in a small pond, you know, you're just going to stay at that level. Yeah. I was always told you pick your five friends and you're the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. People to teach and people to learn from. Yeah. So you went from, you know, performing with a partner and, we you know, 
it's difficult performing being in a duo circus. So why did Town break up? If if oh, I mean, uh, we did a lot of things and we just kept doing the same bits over and over again. And I like to I'm ravenously creating new stuff, ravenously coming new ideas, and I also uh, am like very uh, able to live the artist lifestyle of like money coming in. Now I'm sitting on this money. I'm waiting. What can I create with this money? How can I like you know keep this business of art going? But he was more like, oh, now I'm cashing in on this art that I have. I have this money to buy a car. I have this mm. money to, to pay ah. these bills. And then every time that he wanted to come and make art, from my opinion, this may not be true. I mean, he could dispute it, but it seemed as though he needed that money. Yeah. And I can't, like, I worked really hard from the time I was 13 until the time I, like, started juggling to be able to save something on the side to be able to have my own time to create. Ah. And that was very important to me yeah. to not be rushed or not be... And how was that transitioning from a duo to a solo show? Uh, I just I got a regular job, as you know, like because Vanilla Town was a sellable product, you could charge twice as much for it, yeah. and so on and so forth. I got a nice regular job. It was great that I, you know, had all this physical ability, and like you know, from doing the show, I could write a great resume. I could tell people what I've been doing. <laughs> they were really interested in what I was doing, and so I was able to get like, you know, a great small job on the side and I noticed that I got that and so on my lunch breaks I would go out and do retirement homes or on my lunch break I would go out and do a kindergarten show and then after I made more money doing the kindergarten the retirement home and the weekend shows and the cabarets then I could think about like, yeah. dropping my regular job again and going full time oh that's good so you get some padding yeah. for sure yeah. I mean that's yeah, that's basically what I did I was married at the time I had you know responsibilities you're paying your bills you're still trying to create you're still trying to like do these wild Wednesday nights, hanging out late with all your creative friends and juggling, <laughs> and then also showing up on Thursday morning and like you know working yeah. in a warehouse. Yeah. But, what what a weird contrast though, right? Like you're walking into work knowing you just did this killer show with like you know burlesque artists and hand balancers, all this crazy and the world's best sword swallower, and then, and then you, you know gotta run a forklift, and then yeah. you're like you sit next to the water cooler and they're telling <laughs> you about you know like it their was, new car. It was really weird like that. Yeah, and they would play like, oh, this is the music I'm into. I have this car. Let me show you this car. And you're like trying to tell them, talk to them about like, well, what are you going to do when you get past this this place in your life? Where are you gonna, where's your dreams in the future? Where are you going to go with What's this? What's your artistic vision? <laughs> Whatever it is. And then people are just like, here, go pull a radiator. You're <laughs> like, all right, I got it. I get it. I love like, you know, the guy next to the water cooler is like, you're not going to believe the night I had. You're like, yeah, I can. I can, I can, I can imagine. Yeah. It's pretty easy. It's pretty funny. <laughs> No, I mean... I went and saw this show. It was great. And you were there. You were in it. You were there. You were in it. You were wearing pasties. Uh, so no. so you built yourself up. You got the solo show together. It is hard. You know, I don't think people realize how difficult it is to transition from working with someone on yeah, stage. There's validation constantly. Yeah. You can just look at the other guy and be like, hey, what are you going to do? I don't know. What would you like to do? And there's already a conversation. But if you don't know what you're going to do when you walk out in front of people, oh, man. if you ask them too many questions, they think that you're not prepared. Yeah, they they don't trust that you know what you're doing. No. Yeah. And there's the amount of space that you have to fill with just yourself. Like when you have two people on stage, when the other guy's talking or other person is talking, you can think for a second. You can go grab an object. You can take a sip of water. Yeah. Uh, sure. But when you're by yourself, it's like that sip of water is like three could, seconds of silence no, read it, make a, like you know famous uh, friends of mine Aaron Gregg he's like if you're gonna take a sip of water you better write a joke yeah you know if you wipe your forehead with a towel what what's so funny about that towel yeah you know why are you sweating why you know motivation yeah why are you sweating? Because <laughs> it's hot up here. <laughs> exactly and now you have a, you can relate to the audience simply by saying you know it's hot up here I'm sweating you know 
number yeah. one fear in the world is like you know public speaking. Now number I, two is all the germs in this washcloth. <laughs> <laughs> so what is your pro? Like what what is what is your process like? You know I know you have love for juggling and you are a very accomplished comedy writer. Um, and your the sh- the combination of the two is amazing, and you your tagline is seriously funny juggling. I try to be like I, I try to be truthful with everything I say. I once did a show for an autistic girl, and it like shut her brain down because like all of my jokes throughout my show are puns like that. Like my show is called the Kurt Show, which is like a play on the word Kurt. It's like a small, short, like abrupt, you know, explanation of something. And she started like ca- catching all these puns that I had gone through, and all these like wordplay that I'd done in the show. And she just lost it. And I was like, yeah, I wrote that for you. <laughs> you know, I really thought about everything. And Finally like, found my demographic. No doubt. But the more <laughs> yeah. truthful you are, the more funny it is. Yes. And I believe know, that to be true. If, yeah. And if you, yeah. if you pay attention, it's very funny that a guy wants to dance on stage with a prop or something. would rather get a, you know, would rather juggle knives and get a real job, as they say. <laughs> well, it's, I think all three of us, you know, we run into the uh, the sort of we're in the industry of variety performers and Mm -hmm. especially a a lot of some performers come to it from not a creative standpoint they come from it from hey this is an easy way to make money or like this yeah this is i get to be in front of people and they don't write for themselves and so i think all three of us would get asked to get write material for people (laughs) often yeah i I have lots of projects of people that will i'll ghostwrite for them and it's really it's really honorable to like. I'm very honored to see someone perform a material. Like, yeah. Oh, my words are funny enough for you to do a yeah. show. I think you're awesome. That's really really neat. And I've been blessed to have like great performers see my show and be like, "Hey man, I will purchase that joke from you that yeah. you said right there." And I'm like, "Really? Give me ten bucks and you can have it." Yeah. Like, words are words. Yeah. And if it really hits you, I would love for you to have that. But, well, yeah. and to have the confidence that you know that you will write something okay. just as good or better down the line. Yeah. I yeah. mean, my friend Mike and I, we were like, yeah, man, we want to write the next stock jokes. We want to write all the next stock jokes. Because, <laughs> like, there's a... So a, if you don't know what a stock joke is, too, it's a joke that is... No one necessarily knows who wrote it, but it's been yeah. going around for a long time. It's kind of like commonplace, you know, when you come up in the industry and you're doing maybe comedy as part of your act... The, you sort of reach into the barrel of stock so jokes. So, like when you drop a juggling ball and you go, that's part of my floor show. Yeah. And there's lots yeah. of stock lines and books full of stock lines, but, you know, there's always more unique and interesting and modern ways to say anything. And yes. so I wanted to create the new stock lines. You know, I would say stuff like, I juggle these clubs uh, because they make me look tan. And I'm like a million people, like, what? he has juggling pale white clubs and he's like putting him next to his pale white face. I understand that he's pale. That's a funny joke. And now, like, I've heard that joke from other people, and I'm like, it doesn't work for you because you don't know how to tell it. But, yeah, like, I wrote a stock line. That's what well, I think. Pe- <laughs> I think people hear that laughter from someone saying it, and they're like, I can replicate that. And it's yeah. like you, that you can't. It's you know, true. You don't. Like, know, you don't. You're not even understanding why it's funny. You're just saying the words. Yeah. You know, and that's what I appreciate about your show because it is so. It's so unique, and it is so true to you, who you are. And, uh, you know, you, and you just, the look that you have, I mean, you have a red, massive <laughs> mustache beard, you're wearing like, like crazy, like plaid, plaid suits that have, you, you are custom made. Suits? Well, Everyone I was going to ask you, when, suits? when did that come into play that your plaid, your look, your image of like, well, I'm trying to represent Oregon and I'm trying to represent Portland in my area that I'm from. And so all of my suits are made of Pendleton wool. Oh, really? And they're all Pendleton wool bought in the state of Oregon in Portland, and I had my local artist friends make me those suits. But then you gave them to a vintage store, 
And then, and then you them bought them back, them back <laughs> to make it. Easier. No, those are all original created vintage suits. Like the the brown and green one. I have like a red, white, and blue one. They're all. When did you make that decision, though? I mean, that was a clear cut decision that you made for your character or your style of performing. What... Hang out with burlesque performers. They're like so well dressed, and like the male burlesque performer. Uh, I'd I'd seen this male burlesque performer Russell Bruner, and I was like, this guy is dressing really well. Like, what's going on? Like, I'm like, everything you're wearing is fantastic, and he's like, everything is custom. And then I was like, wait a minute, I'm trying to find things at Fred Meyer's or like at Meyer and Frank's or <laughs> yeah, somewhere yeah. to do this job that's out of this world. And then I'm trying to find the craziest thing on the rack at like a Goodwill and try to fit it into my show. I could easily just like pick a really cool fabric take it to a person and pay an artist two hundred dollars to make me a suit i think most of my suits look like they're worth a lot more than the money i probably paid for them mm-hmm. and it will make you unique stick out yeah now i'm older i can wear stuff off the rack i think and pull it off a little better <laughs> like and you're like, the off the rack age <laughs> i'm at the age where it's okay i can fit in but um no man i think just having a good letting the you know just having a good Good taste in clothing is very helpful. Yeah. Well, we were just looking through the photos. Photos. You you brought a yeah, you brought old, a book of old a binder a binder of old photos and you know of yeah. headshots of people that familiar you know people we both know mm-hmm. and it's it was interesting to see the progression of you in the beginning it was just sort of like yeah. clean shaven face yeah. cut short red hair, hair uh, yeah you got the collared shirt with like the yeah. performer vest. Trying and, to get college uh, gigs at NECA. Right? Yeah, yeah, and then it's it's great to see uh, where 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 you've be where you've come with all of this, nice. and so even going back to like the vanilla vanilla town vaudeville days, you know when you when you come up, you're just saying yes to anything that comes up. And yeah. one of the things that came up, I believe, was you performed at Hershey Park. Yeah, no, we submitted a video, man. I have a VHS tape that we made on the high eight video. It was one of our first performance. Uh, I guess it would be. Like a request or a performance like video and we send it out to Hershey Park people we never expected to win like I had a broken foot in that video dude like I had a broken foot I was hopping on one foot juggling seven clubs did, we, did, were you guys in the speedos in the video no, we were in suits and whatever <laughs> but we were like sitting down at the thing talking like we really work hard for you guys we got chosen this is going to be a great opportunity for you to juggle with us no so was it a, you said we won was it like a contest no or? it was oh, just, just a, a gig okay and we took it way too seriously just like everything <laughs> like took it way too seriously send them a 10 minute video real good promotion we got the gig we ended up doing like 680 shows in a in, summer in like four and a half months that's been wow. that's, that's yeah. crazy it's dude. Like six shows a day six days a week wow and with like really amazing drummers really amazing performers some of the people who like performed at that park the same summer that i did they have like grammys and tony awards wow and like uh i've seen them on television i've seen them on and they're all homies yeah nice. like this is the entertainment industry you all came up at hershey park <laughs> no doubt with the amish people and the polish kids <laughs> well and i'm sure just like getting that gig is so exciting in the very beginning right For like sure. you look back and you're like i probably would never do that again no. but I mean, as a beginner you're like oh my goodness i get to do shows every day six yeah. shows we get to perform six shows a day yeah no it's it amazing crazy. we got the gig like the people that used to perform at that park before us were the gizmo guys oh wow yeah so the gizmo guys are like a legendary like east coast like duo they have the most fantastic like ball juggling routines everything's rhythmic they wear these beautiful suits together and then you know the hershey park was like we just need a juggler we don't care who they are it's just a juggler right 
So eventually the Gizmo guys stopped with the, working there and they just hired random jugglers. Uh-huh. And we were the random jugglers. And then they just plugged in these jugglers into a into pre-existing... Into a musical, like into a musical <laughs> with like... Uh, uh, drummers on garbage cans and like push us out in garbage cans and it was all sponsored by waste management oh that's kind of cool so, Did... so you were an act in a show versus the show we were the show I mean the whole thing like while I wasn't juggling I was playing like xylophones made out of like tin cans on the wall oh really yeah that's, a, a, that's pretty cool it was a full experience it was like summer boot camp for like theater nerds like you know I learned rhythm I learned drumming wow. I learned like you know to do a backflip off of like this thing over here I learned to juggle five balls you know, you got, you know, 16 to hit this five ball trick, go get your 16, do your trick, collect, you know, give direction to someone else. Yeah. Like go sort the cans in the back. Sort the cans in the back. (laughs) Try not to get someone to dump an ice cream on your head while you're like, make sure the recyclables are clean recyclables. (laughs) Sort your glasses. (laughs) No. And since then I've known like 25 different jugglers who have worked at Hershey park and it's just like a regular gig. Some of them have become professionals. Some of them just like thought it was really great experience. Yeah. That's amazing. So I wanted to backtrack. You had mentioned something. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned Clowns Without Borders. Clowns Without Borders, yes. So uh, how did you get involved with that? Well, Clowns Without Borders in Portland was started, I believe, by David Lichtenstein and Moshe Cohen. They would just do uh, small like gatherings in like a kitchen, have a few people around, and then have a small sponsorship. Okay. And after a few years, that it worked its way into a theater. And the first time I ever performed with Clowns Without Borders was at the Echo Theater. And I just volunteered at the juggling club and said, oh, yeah, I would love to do this. And then I volunteered with uh, Mike. We just went out there. We would, you know, show up in the beginning, do a little clown skit, and then do your six-minute Diablo bit. People enjoyed it so much that we got invited to be in another theater production and so on. That was, like, you know, just by volunteering just by hanging cool out is that? and just by putting in some energy. I was like stoked. I was like, you guys that go around the world and do this amazing work. I'm like, I can just give you this act for free and it's like helpful. I'm like, I don't have hundreds of dollars. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything else to give you. And so we worked really, really hard on that. And we we're like out in the elementary school parking lot, like practicing for four hours a day for like, you know, four days a week or something. <laughs> and then, but eventually you got, eventually you got your sixth grade diploma. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, eventually you ended up going on a clowns without borders trip. Yeah, right? I was, I was invited and I went uh, to Haiti to, it was way after the earthquakes, way when everything was very calmed down. Uh, there was a need for entertainment and we went down there and we taught clowns like clowning skits and clowning routines and like juggling tricks so that they could have something when we weren't there to yeah, you know, play with and, absolutely. Do it and create. And so, yeah, some of the clowns that I worked with in Haiti were able to set up small tours around and make a living being like entertainers on their own island. Are th- those are Haitians who Haitians, are? Haitians, yeah. Oh, cool. So when I went there, Clowns Without Borders sent French clowns, American clowns, and Haitian clowns all to Port-au-Prince to meet up and to spend two days like creating a new show ah. and so we all created a show together we split the show in half and we sent two different small shows out around the island for like like 18 days and are these shows pre-booked or are you like going into villages and just like doing street shows i believe that they're mostly pre-arranged clowns without borders is very effective in uh, contacting early and contacting often and so when we showed up it was very much like 
you know, 12 o'clock. You're How doing, cool is that? Yeah. yeah, at 12 o'clock, you're doing like these, you know, 150 Catholic schoolgirls. And then we're going to drive in at 2 o'clock. We're going to be in this village off this beaten path. And yeah, man, the food was beautiful. The people were very resilient and interesting. They had lots of uh, great ways to get anything they needed done. When you when you were writing the show, when everyone's like going around saying, "What talents do you have?" Where did you add in the recycling stuff? You're like, I can play the pop can. I can play pop can. <laughs> I can do a backflip off a dumpster. <laughs> no, but those things definitely helped me because I mean, you're there with limited resources. Of course, we did create maracas out of like some cans. We did create different like instruments out of different things, but. The French clowns brought accordions and, you know. They got, they got good, skills. They got, yeah, man, they got And the baked stuff. goods. <laughs> and the baked goods. So great. So, yeah. <laughs> it's all baguettes. <laughs> yeah. So how did you get involved with the Moisture Festival? Uh, Moisture Festival, I was in, I submitted with uh, the Vanilla Town Vaudevillians many, many, many moons ago, back in the day when they were a young budding festival. I'd heard stories of a, tent blowing over and filling with water I'd heard stories of like great influential artists that I'd really loved you know Holcomb and those guys up there doing crazy shows and so we submitted had no clue what we were doing we're way over our depths and I think we did okay I'm, su- I'm sure you did <laughs> you know but uh, yeah you just don't know what to give you're like do you just shut up and juggle and give people five minutes of great juggling do you bring a comedy bit that you think is good because the audience is amazing no matter what. They're going to love you. I don't know. I've had a few rough shows there. (laughs) (laughs) Which which makes you feel even worse because everyone's like, they're so great. There's no way to fail. I'm like, I have failed. No, yeah. Yeah. I mean, being too experimental or nervous can definitely, like, people worry. But no, Moisture Festival is fantastic. But after having Vanilla Town, um, yeah, I think it took me five or six years to work up to having a good enough act to submit solo. I remember one year mm-hmm. uh, you were working the Moisture Festival and I had a gig that I needed a three minute juggler. Mm-hmm. And so I call you and I'm like, here's what the pay, which was insane for three minutes. You're like, no, I'm here for the hang. And I was like, what? Yeah, <laughs> man. Like, it was for three minutes <laughs> and it was in a crazy amount of money. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, no, I'm cool. I'm good, dude. That's what I love about this guy. I can't be bought. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go until I need... Whatever. No, but I mean... Well, we did offer you quite a bit of money for this podcast. It's true. So much. I'm stoked about that. But uh, no, if you're there to hang out and you're there to meet and learn and see things go down, you need to be there for the whole experience, you know, like from beginning to end. Uh, My favorite moisture festival experiences are when I get to do multiple weeks, when you get to be there for three days on one week and three days on another week. You can hang out. You can see how people unwind, see how people do things, hang out with a favorite clown. Go have some sushi with Dan Holtzman. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, it, we're so lucky to be in the Northwest, where mm-hmm. it is within striking distance for you know Portland people, Bellingham people, yeah. Vancouver, Vancouver, British Columbia people. Mm-hmm. Not and, a lot of Eastern Washington, though. Yeah, no. I mean, there. I mean, Portland is sort of a thriving circus community. I mean, I would say even larger than Seattle, and I know that they tried to do something similar here, the Umbrella Festival. Mm-hmm. Do you do you ever foresee like the Moisture Festival branching out or something like that existing here in Portland? You know, I'd, I'd be I'd be welcome to see something like that happen. I know it's just always difficult to start anything new. You know, people are happy to go to Clowns Without Borders if that's their yearly tradition. That's mm-hmm. the one show they go to. They really really yeah. love the Portland Juggling Festival. Might be the same like that to them. But then you add a second or third or fourth show, you say, oh, here's a string of eight or ten awesome shows. 
well, I'm not really a theater nerd. I just really like this juggling thing once a year. Well, yeah, I think you, you know? one person, like you yeah. said earlier on, the White Album Christmas, which yeah. is a, a holiday tradition here in Portland. What is it, like 10 shows? Yeah, they do 10 shows. I think that uh, something like a moisture festival could really work here in Portland if they were able to collaborate with some already existing audience. Yeah. That's the issue, right? Like every time you create a new festival, you're trying to create a new audience. Mm-hmm. And you're like, but they're the same artist as last time. It's just a different name. So yeah, getting everyone involved to be able to collaborate and get well that and the moisture festival too. Like even performers that they bring in during the week, they don't have them in every show. Like they bring not. in yeah. someone in from in from France, they don't have them on the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday show. They'll have, they might have them on the Wednesday, Friday, and Sunday show yep. just to keep that variety uh, going. And I think that's really smart. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, some of your career highlights, I mean, you've been at the Kennedy Center. Yeah. Right? Jump, I mean, Do Jump, that uh, opened up a lot of doors. They had a really beautiful uh, theatrical show about Marc Chagall. And, uh, yeah. I don't know who that is. He's a famous <laughs> Jewish author. Uh, a famous Jewish author and uh, painter, Marc okay. Chagall. Uh, I, I believe it's during World War II he made most of his art. But, yeah, we made this really amazing pieces of art. Uh, had painted costumes, hand painted costumes by local Portland artists who all donated Wait, their time. You were in hand painted painting, like like my onesie was painted to look like all these different Mark Chagall paintings. That's cool. Yeah. And then did you strip that off to Mark no, Chagall dude, speedos? Mark Chagall speedos. No, it didn't happen that way. You know, we always vowed to never have to take our clothes off after the first gig. Actually, we're like, well, now that we're skilled enough, we don't have to take our clothes off. Yeah. I've done burlesque shows. I've done Dante's Inferno Cabaret. I've done tons of these things. And if I do a good enough job making people laugh and like, I don't need to take my clothes off and I haven't, but maybe once or twice to be funny yeah. in like 20 years. So the Mark Chagall thing, um, mm-hmm. how, what, when, was that the, the Kennedy Center's idea or was that the Do Jump? That was Do Jump's idea. I mean, this is a local Portland uh, dance company who worked with physical theater artists like Brittany Walsh, mm-hmm. like the famous uh, acro Brit. Yeah. It's a bow and arrow. She was in, uh, she started off in Do Jump. And so she's doing ensemble work. Uh, we're doing like aerial stuff. Me, primarily, I was doing juggling. So I had a five ring juggling piece that I had to open the entire show with. So, like, we're at uh, the Kennedy Center, and like, I'm the first person out there to juggle five <laughs> rings, like, in silence. And I'm juggling five rings for like a really long time until everyone knows. Obama's sitting front and center. <laughs> Who knows? No, no, no. Colin Powell is the most uh, influential person we'd seen at, at our shows. But uh, no, it was. He's like, can you do seven? <laughs> can you do seven? <laughs> I saw a kid without lips. Isn't that how it goes? I don't even know how it works. But uh, no, man, it it was beautiful just to say yes a lot. And then to make like there's a difference between making variety entertainment your like primary job and making variety entertainment like something that you do whenever it's available. Yep. And so if you make it your primary job, then when someone says, I want you to go on tour with us and it's in eight months, you say yes. And you figure out how how can I go on this tour? What training do I need to do? What costume do I need to wear? Like, this is going to happen, and it's going to be a step in my career. And how do I use that? I mean, we didn't take pictures of everything we did back then. We didn't put it on Facebook. We just really try to live in the moment, you know, take a few pictures for yourself. But when you're backstage at this, like, 8,000-seat, like, McAllen Theater in, like, uh, St. Paul, and you know that there's, like, 5,000 kids and their families out there, you just take a moment to, like, be like, wow. I hope I've really done my homework and I hope that I'm not wasting these kids time, you know, like, cause the only thing we can create really is attention. Yeah. That's what's so beautiful about moisture festival and things like that. They're 
good uses of attention. Mm -hmm. You're teaching, you're learning, you're showing off amazing things, you're got all these tricks and yeah, man, it's such a good thing. Now you went, you've been a professional juggler for as long as I've known you, which is almost 20 years. Mm -hmm. And how many lives have you saved as a juggler and then as a lifeguard? <laughs> how many lives? You know, I, I just try to be available for like having a good time at all times. I remember talking a kid out of suicide at a, at a county fair. He was having like the worst year of his life. Everything Another was performer. Awful. No, an actual, just a regular dude off the street at a county fair. You know, he's just talking about how bad his life is and he doesn't want to be in the small town and has no perspective and everything he's saying is like really small, like small minded. Just he's like trapped yeah, there, you know? Yeah. I was like, man, can I talk to you about this? Like I invited like an old lady over. I was like, that old lady looks cool. Come on over here, old lady. <laughs> and I'm like, you, had, you, you got an intervention. Yeah, yeah man. Wow. It's like you're at a county fair. It's the funnest thing that's happened in your community for like 12 months. And you're bummed, man. I can't leave here. Like you bummed. You yeah. Know? And we talked him off of his like sadness, talked to him about perspective, you know, give him a few cool stories here and there. And then, you know, those are the kind of, th I think that may have saved the dude's life. Honestly, now he's your roommate in Portland. No, I don't know about that, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, as a lifeguard, you shouldn't have to save people's lives. You should be preventative enough that you don't have to jump in the water and like save them. And I never personally let anyone go under in my like, you know, 12 years of being a lifeguard. I had to jump in for other people's like rescues where I'd be like out in the lobby, hear some whistles. Someone's like not paying attention to a child. You have to jump in and do actual CPR. Oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. That's scary. The, the really scary things, you know? And then furthermore, I uh, jumped in and saved a kid's life in Vancouver in like 1998, I think it was. And in 2002, 2000, yeah, 2002, he came to one of my juggling shows. Wow. wow. Did he remember you? He remembered me. His whole family remembered me. I was always... like, my right lung is still collapsed. I <laughs> wish you would have done it right. correctly. No, I mean, <laughs> to the rhythm of staying alive. <laughs> uh, you know, we had shared a kiss. No. Um, no, but it's just stuff like that that's interesting. You ever, like, the kid comes out, he wakes up, and he's like, did I see you at the Kennedy Center? No. Oh, that'd be no, cool. That'd be nice. So uh, was that, that's got to be a pretty powerful moment when someone comes to your show and you made that level of an impact on their life. I mean, I was too young to realize it, probably. <laughs> you're just like, oh, there's another kid. Look at that. But oh. When you get older and you're just looking back at things that have happened, you're like, that's pretty powerful. That could be pretty... That could be pretty... Uh... Yeah, like looking through your binder of pictures that you brought. Yeah. You, you know, there's a picture of uh, my, my partner and I, and my partner signed it in a very <laughs> passive-aggressive way because you had come to one of our shows and shouted out a, a punchline, and he was very mad at that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I've gone to that show, and it's because, like, I wanted to go to every show that I could, man. I drove six hours to see shows. I've drawn, driven four hours to see shows. I've gone to Moisture Festival in the years that I'm not there, just to see great acts that are inspirational to me because video never does it justice. Yeah. You know? And well, you know. we're at the end of a different era where we didn't have the internet really growing up to where yeah, you no. had to go and actually see it. Yeah, it's true. No doubt. I looked up, like, shows on MySpace accounts. I looked up, like, you know, how to find shows on all these different weird websites and then go down to, like, small towns and small places in Oregon to see some old magician who's retiring, but he's going to do one last show at this college he's done for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And you're like, how did this college get this freaking great magician <laughs> for 20 years? He's doing, like, $20,000 effects for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was there, though. It was yeah. Fun. That's where I met Brian Brushwood, watching mm -hmm. him and other 
yeah. classic magicians. There's so many different markets for variety entertainment, but as it is now, we have to be in every market. Well, and you're not only a fantastic performer; like you, are, you 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 love it. You can you consume you consume it just as much as you. <laughs> and that's what's amazing is like you know sometimes like my friends would be like, "You want to go to this comedy show?" I'm like, "No, no, not really. No. I gotta I gotta write that off." No, I had to cut myself off. There was a point where I stopped consuming juggling videos because I had consumed so much juggling. Yeah, it was all just jumbled up in my head. Like, what was mine? What was everyone else's? Totally. Yeah. Like, what can I even do anymore? I just stand there holding a juggling club, contemplating, like, <laughs> juggling it. Like, so many words. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, people can find you at thekurtshow.com. You mm-hmm. also are one of the first people that I saw on Patreon actually doing something meaningful. Oh, thanks, man. Like, you want to tell people what you're doing on Patreon? Yeah, I have a small group of people right now, just about 50 and I just try to do fun, interesting missions where I can use my skills to beautify an area in Portland, to bring some entertainment to people that can't get out. Uh, the original goal was to just go into places where people were stuck, like hospitals and uh, retirement homes, but that became more difficult during COVID. Yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone's been really apprehensive of letting free radicals into their <laughs> system, you know? Like, oh, you want to juggle? Mm, I don't think he's a hand washer, you know? Like, <laughs> But uh, no, so I have my Patreon. You can't put that beard behind a mask. <laughs> no doubt, no way. And so I have this Patreon project. So every month I'm making a few hundred dollars, and I always commit that money to do something with it. Yeah. Like uh, last year, I ended up picking over far over 200 bags of trash up. I stopped counting at 200. But yeah. I would just go out on a bike and film it. It got to a point where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't just film. I don't have to film this. I'll just tell people I'm being. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I can just take pictures of all the bags yeah, that I took or something. Yeah. You're like, I'm not trying to like. But it's cool you go out on the bike with your little uh, wagon. Car, your wagon. You yeah. fill it up with. I mean, it's pretty awesome, man. It's just simple things, you know. Um, I've done a lot of, I've done a lot of things for the Patreon project that I've never actually put out there. I've done shows for people on the side of the street. I've done all these different things, but it's hard to film it as an individual. So. This year, I'm using all the Patreon money just to pay a person to film me to do these things. Yeah. Well, and one of the initial initial things that you sort of touched on was that the Patreon contributors were buying a ticket for yeah, a future show for a future show for a senior center or retirement ah, home yeah. and that's what i loved because it was like you were giving the show for free to these people but yeah. you are still like trying to uh, trying to make a living doing this job that we all love absolutely you know? yeah it's very funny how 20 years after starting this like the budgets at a retirement home are literally the same yeah like they'd consider paying you the same money as they would in 2000 it's kind of like comedy clubs. <laughs> it's the same with comedy yeah. clubs or other things like that. As more people want to do it for like either clout or their own needs, then yeah, you can start charging less and less and paying less and less. That's bad. There's got to be standards. Yeah, we were, we were talking about that before. It was unionizing. <laughs> Such a, yeah, it's hard though, you know, because there's probably someone that could do this job better. But what's nice is that was like with avenues like Patreon, like mm-hmm. people can contribute directly to you if they appreciate what you're doing. Yeah. And they don't, they're, they're, there's a lot more ways out there for people to like get in touch and, and start help you with the projects so. that you're putting together. You know, yeah, in the last two years, especially since after COVID and all these things happened, I've been blown away by the support of people. People would call me up to hire me to do a virtual show only because they liked me as an individual and because they wanted my virtual show to help me like as an artist stay alive. And I'm like, wow, this is like, this is some special stuff. And so you just (laughs) put on a zoom show and you put as much consideration into that as you would into a, you know, larger theater show. And it's been 
That's what I'm saying. You put, you mm-hmm. take every show that you do and you put effort and time. And yeah. like, I mean, I go into shows all the time where I haven't thought about that show <laughs> until the, the literally the moment I walk on and I'm like, who are, what, what am I doing? Like I have moments where I'm like, what, how, how did I get here? What the hell? Like I'll be on stage. Like what is happening? But that's the beautiful thing is that you know how to ride that wave. You've done it before. You've done a million shows. You've done the shows for no money. You've done the shows for lots of money. You know what's expected of you. And when the pressure's on, you, you turn it on. That's why you're a professional. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, but what, what like, I'm trying like to... An, an induction burner. <laughs> no, <laughs> what I'm trying to say is like, you. Every, I feel like you bring just the same sort of like consistency to each show where you put effort and thought and you are sort of consider... You consider... All the elements that are involved in every show, regardless if it's zero dollars or you know fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, you know, that's why I won't take a show if I can't do it well. I mean, he was saying it. This... I was like, "What you point at me?" No, you, you were telling me earlier that I was at Moisture Festival once, and you had invited me to do a show for great money. You know, I probably didn't have a car at the time, or I was like, you know, mm-hmm. sharing rides with someone yeah. else, and it would become extra difficult, or it wouldn't like I wouldn't be able to shine like I want to because I didn't have proper thought for that. I would rather say no to like a lot of money than to show up and then to, to tarnish my reputation. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, you know, that's we interviewed Jay Alexander. You know, Jay Alexander from San Francisco Magician, and yeah. he he said something. I don't know if he said it on our podcast or something else that I listened to where he said, "I never say yes to a gig unless I think I am a good fit for that gig." Yeah, and I'm like. I just take anything. Like, <laughs> I, mean, I just, I just like, whatever it's bar mitzvah. And yeah. I'm getting to the point now where it's like, I, I, the, when I'm not a good fit, it wears on me a lot more mm-hmm, than, yeah. um, throughout the week. And, you know, I, yeah. I, I dwell on the, those shows where I don't do well more often. So putting yourself in situations where, you know, do you'll well, succeed yeah, yeah. is I think good for the soul. Nice. Yeah. So that's why I admire, like, regardless of you just, create stuff that will will fit in that moment as opposed to just relying on the stuff that you've already created yep. that's what i'm Thank trying you. to say that no, was a I appreciate roundabout that. compliment <laughs> yeah 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 i mean there's a lot of ways to make a cake and as long as the audience is getting good cake i don't think anyone's upset, yeah there's know. vegan cake there's vegan cake microwave there's, cake, there's <laughs> freeze dried cake astronaut cake no way cake. so uh, again the curtis show.com how can people find you on patreon uh, patreon.com slash curtis carlisle C-U-R-T-I-S-C-A-R-L-Y-L-E. Uh, yeah, it's a difficult name to spell. Hard to forget. And it's only, I believe, like the minimum to donate is like 3 or 4 or $5. You can donate a dollar if you yeah. want. I put a spot for 10 people to donate a dollar if they can only do a dollar. I would prefer, you know, a few dollars. I would prefer if you, like, actually write me a note and send me a dollar. You know, like, hey, yeah. man, I like that video yeah. you did. Can you do more like that? I want interaction with people. Ah. Just like... Most artists, they really want there to be an interaction. I don't want it to be a pushed, fake interaction. Yeah. I don't want to make a Patreon video because I feel like, oh, December 1st is coming up. i got to make this yeah. video to make it a value-based like economy. I don't. Yeah. I want it to be like a, you're supporting an artist who's promising that he's going to do some crazy stuff with your money. Yeah. You well, know? and maybe not just on Patreon. You, Your YouTube, you have tons of juggling videos that are from all around uh, the country on your travels doing shows. And uh, I highly recommend people who are listening, check that out. You got Shaker Cups, Diablos, juggling, yeah. all sorts of cool juggling stuff. Collaborations with other artists, you backstage at other, you know, you know, yeah. variety shows. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, you create a lot of content. It's, you know, it's been a joy to be able to watch 
over the, the last 20 years, man. Yes, man. Yeah, yeah. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Moisture Festival. Heck again. yeah, I'm excited. You know, the next generation is going to come out with like some real good stuff. I hope so. <laughs> get me up there. Get me up there to MC. I'll be the next Sam. I gotta gain a few pounds and start driving start a bus. Yeah. Green up a little bit. Yeah. All right, Kurt. Thanks so much, buddy. Thank you very much. That's it for today, folks. Want to thank you so much for listening. If you want to check out more information like who's performing, how to volunteer, how to contribute, be sure to go to the Moisture Festival website, which is moisturefestival.org. If you like this podcast, you can check out the podcast that Matt and I do called the Odd and Off Beat Podcast. Yeah. You can get on all of the podcast places, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, and where we talk about weird news stories of the day. It's a good time. Yeah. If you like this podcast, you will love that because it is all things weird. <laughs> <laughs> and that has links to my personal page and Louis Fox's personal page if you want to follow what we do individually. So we want to thank all of the performers, donors, sponsors, volunteers who play Put on the Moisture Festival. It really takes a village to make this thing happen. Absolutely. We want to thank you for listening, and we want to thank you in advance for coming out to the Moisture Festival. So be sure to check out the Moisture Festival's site. They also have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a YouTube page to see how you can get involved and be a part of this year's or next year's Moisture Festival. We want to thank you so much for listening to today's podcast, and we hope to see you soon. See you later. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast and stay moist.